Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. I really don't want to use more than half the call uh, on energy stuff, but for some of the people who are on the call who weren't on last week, I just want to do a quick recount of how we're looking at the difference between uh, oil supply and oil demand, or put another way, is $70 oil, you know, $60 with $10 of backwardation in 12 or 18 months. Is it sustainable? Will it go higher? Will it go lower? And basically, the key point is that in the United States, we once did 13 million barrels, which was the most ever done by anyone. Uh, the other two large producers in, in the 11 range are Saudi Arabia and Russia. Uh, it seems extremely unlikely, no matter what the price is, that the U.S. will ever get back to 13. We'll probably just do 11. But the question is, uh, can Russia sustain at 11? Can Saudi sustain at 11? And then where do the smaller producers, uh, say a racket or they uh, ran with the capacity to do for if embargoes are lifted uh, or sanctions are lifted. Uh, and then you get to smaller, you get Brazil and, and, and China. And uh, uh, But as I look at the landscape, uh, because remember, it's 90 million barrels, it's only 11 out of the U.S., it seems to me that the supply of oil even though the Shells and BPs and Exxons are moving into the power business to try to be more green, the supply of oil is reasonably well assured here. When it becomes demand, and demand demand has to do with uh, what the penetration or what the the miles driven, you know, on a worldwide basis, especially in the undeveloped world, how much is going to be EVs. And how much it's going to be traditional gasoline. And just to say that the average car is on the road for 12 years doesn't really get to the issue. The issue is if, if, if someone keeps their old car and gets an electric EV and then does all their grocery shopping and, and errands, local errands and whatnot with EV, you'll definitely see that in gasoline demand. So the question becomes if supply can be maintained even with lower capital spending and the big companies moving to power, you know, is there a downside risk from lower demand? Probably not going to see absent another lockdown. You're not going to see that. In fact, as things come unlocked, you're going to see increased demand. So it probably look okay for 12 or 18 months, but these people who say, uh, we, you know, we're monetizing all our debt, you know, this is an inflation hedge. You may see $100. I mean, not saying that couldn't happen. I don't know whether it's sustainable, but right at the present time, I think the probability is that oil's work back to where it is, probably probably maintain there, but it, it's not a reason to change, you know, anything you own, either energy or, or non-energy. Um, <clears throat> with that, I hope I haven't taken more than three or four minutes on that. I want to switch to natural gas, which is different because oil is determined on a worldwide basis. Natural gas has LNG, which is determined on a worldwide basis. But 
again, using the 90 number, we produce about 90 million uh, a day of gas or 90 bees a day of gas. And we, uh, we don't um, export except around 11. The export's going to go up. And, and if export markets, LNG prices get really weak, that 11 can turn into five and a half. I mean, that would be a real negative. But for the moment, uh, uh, export LNG prices in Japan and uh, the rest of Asia and in Europe are very good. I mean, they're 10 or $11. So uh, it takes about $2 to liquefy the gas. It takes to Asia about $2 to transport uh-huh. it. To Europe, it would be a dollar to transport it. So, I mean, it's, it's, it really is supportive of U.S. gas prices. Now, on a really warm day in, uh, you know, in lots of places, not just the Northeast, but I mean, how about the Northwest, uh, where, uh, in Washington, Oregon, uh, what do we think about power demand? Uh, power demand is about a third of our use of natural gas. The problem with power demand, thinking it's going to grow, is the move towards renewables. Now, everyone says, or the, 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 the conventional wisdom is renewables are cheaper than gas. Gas at $3, or actually gas near month is trading at $3.50. That's about three and a half cent power. I think it's a case, unsubsidized, wind and solar, uh, when the wind is blowing or when, when the sun is shining, can beat that three and a half cents. But of course, wind and solar are going to be subsidized on the federal level because uh, there is this belief that uh, we need to do more renewables. Uh, so with the subsidization, they certainly are going to be gas. The problem is that if you have a gas-fired power plant or a nuclear power plant or a coal plant, which will operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you go to replace that with wind or solar, it takes about three times or more of the capacity replace that traditional source of power. And because the governors, who are more or less in control of this, as well as the independent system operators, want no increase in rates, and they don't want blackouts, uh, the adoption of, of wind and solar is going to not happen as quickly because to not have any blackouts you're going to have to keep some gas capacity in. And that's good news. Problem is that when the wind is blowing or the, or, or the sun is shining, you're not going to sell very much gas. A lot of the gas is going to be kind of backup generation. And uh, so I'm a bit negative on the amount of gas that's going to be used in this country, which is you know a third of our, our supply of gas that goes into power generation you know, that 30 bees a day or whatnot, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that that isn't going to go into some kind of decline, even though with electric vehicles, we're going to have increased power demand. Uh, and uh, as far as LNG goes, there, there are some additional facilities which are be put, being put in to, uh, to make LNG. So that capacity, which is currently 11 bees a day, may go to or 13 or 14, and then especially if these, you know, this time last year, LNG 
delivered to Japan was like under $4 and now it's 11. So, I mean, to the extent that these prices are maintained, uh, uh, you know, I think that additional capacity will be accelerated. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but uh, do I think, I mean, before the Marcellus app, the Marcellus is about 35 Bs of the 90. Didn't even exist 10 years ago. Before the Marcellus happened, um, the, you could pretty much rely if oil was not 70, but $60, kind of the backwardation, gas would be 10 to 1 or $6. Now it's three and a half. Do I think there's a set of circumstances where it, it starts to move closer to that oil currency? I really don't because of the onset of, uh, wind and solar and, uh, batteries. Um, the um, other interesting thing about gas is if you think about public pure gas plays, there are a few smaller ones, but almost all of them are Marcellus. And, and there's one Hainesville company, fine. And then we had one called Indigo, which we could have brought public instead. But instead, we, and a matter of public record, we agreed to merge it into Southwestern, which is a Marcellus company. So, um is it an area to make investments? Yes. Remember, the whole goal here is not to have more than 10 major positions, maybe a couple of research positions. I say this time and time again. Should two, possibly three of them, be energy? I guess so. Should it be more than three energy? I don't think so. Uh, and uh, how do you pick the ones? Well, it is absolutely the case that you've got to find companies that can spend, they can increase their production, spending only two-thirds of their cash flow so that there's, you can take half of the free cash flow, the difference between EBITDA and, and CapEx, uh, EBITDA being pre-tax, pre-interest cash flow, uh, take that one-third and dividend half of it out and put the rest in a rainy day fund or if the stock is cheap, buy the stock in that's the only kind of energy company to own. And, and you know, we're, we're going to make the transition over to uh, Mike now. When you look at technology companies or any kind of company, it's that free cash flow characteristic that you want to look for. Now, the tricky thing about investing, now, something like NVIDIA has always had it. NVIDIA always generates more cash flow than they use. Um, um, the, um, uh, for the last several years, Amazon has generated more free cash flow than it used. Uh, Google generates more free cash flow than it uses. So to a certain extent, the energy companies have to be more like Amazon and Google and NVIDIA in order to, you know, in order to compete for attention, for the attention of Amazon on the phone or, or, you know, or, 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 uh, you know, large active money managers or hedge funds. So um, the, um, uh, I, I, I think there is an investing strategy here that makes absolute sense. Now, uh, uh, long, long ago, uh, uh, when uh, you know, we started to have these uh, uh, sessions over at 4 South Street, and uh, we had some young people, and uh, uh, and it started with these young people, one of which was is Mike. It's turned into Mike uh, sitting out in San Diego. Uh, I would quote uh, my mother, who uh, uh, was 
a very successful investor, uh, English language, but she could in college, but she could definitely read an annual report. And her, her methodology for picking companies over her investing life, which was like 50 years or so, was to uh, only own companies where the dividend gone up every year. She would read every annual report. She owned too many companies by my standards. She owned 20 or 25 companies, but she'd read every annual report. And if she started to see something she didn't like about the business, she would sell occasionally. But basically what, what her criteria was, has the dividend gone up every year for 10, 20, or 30 years? When she died and you looked at her estate, way more than half the value, the, her tax cost basis in the shares was less than the dividend that was being received. In other words, if you bought a stock 20 years ago and you paid $2 for uh, 20 years later, 30 years later, it was paying a $2 dividend. So, you know, I, I hate to be simple about this, but whether it's an energy company or a technology company, it's really those criteria that you're looking for. And with that, you know, NVIDIA has got now. The problem is these things get up to pretty high values. So if you compute the free cash flow or the ability, if you paid all the free cash flow out in the dividend, what would the yield be? The problem with the very good companies, and NVIDIA is certainly a very good company, is it gets so it's trading at like a 1% or 2% free cash yield. Uh, that creates a risk. I mean, you're in the right company and will probably continue to have free cash flow. But if the free cash yield, because of conditions like a few years ago, NVIDIA was quite dependent on people buying its cards to mine Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, Bitcoin went down and there was a lot of cards available on the secondhand market. Uh, uh, so if your free cash yield goes from 2% to 4%, you lose half your capital. On the other hand, if you really believe in a company, you know, you should have a chance to buy more. But uh, without further delay, uh, I think we want to spend at least four or five minutes on the video. Uh, it's Mike's favorite. It's the one Mike has made the most money on in his career, and uh, it's getting awfully high. And with that, we turn it over to Mike for a comment on the video. Hey, hi. So, so yeah, NVIDIA is obviously a favorite of mine. I, um, I've been involved in the stock since it was in the 30s. So it's been um, quite a run since then. And I, like you said, with your, with your mother and her process for picking stocks, if you look at um, cash flow on a per share basis, I mean, we're, we're getting to for 2022, which will end um, next January, probably going to have north of $10 in free cash flow per share. So, so over time, you kind of, you, you can get there. But like Hunt said, right now, as far as your, your free cash yield goes, it's going to be very thin in NVIDIA. And right now it's priced for perfection as it's bumping on $800 a share. Um, exciting news was just released this week um, or some other industry support for their, their acquisition of ARM. Um, that all seems to be going well. Um, also, AMD was, has gotten uh, most of the clearances they need in order to acquire Xilinx. So if there's some sort of precedent as to what's happening within the industry. All that news seems to be quite positive. Um, 
but a lot of their future growth is dependent on development of new markets. So um, I, I don't think I'll dig any deeper into NVIDIA unless we, unless Hunt, you have some specific questions. Um, no. The only, the only, the only thing I'd say is, is just to emphasize, uh, Mike's point. This is a more successful company from an operating point of view. If they're able to get through the various regulatory reviews that they've got to go through in the UK, where ARM is, was founded and is based as headquartered. China, where they have a significant operation and the Chinese will weigh in. There's always the possibility uh, of, you know, re, you know, stronger U.S. Uh, uh, antitrust review. And I think it's still the case, Mike, that they don't expect to close the arm transaction until like next February or something. That is, that's right. First, uh, I think they said first quarter or first half of, of next year. Yeah. And, but I think it'd be useful because it's certainly, I mean, look, if you don't own the stock and I don't own it, I own it because, uh, Mike's partnership owns it. I, shame on me. You know, I should have, should have been much more active on it. But, uh, if, if there are companies that you're following that you think are well run and have a good plan and, and, you know, uh, have a proprietary position where they, you know, they can outdo the competition. Remember, the economy is only going to grow two and a half, three percent a year. I mean, it's going to be more this year because of the the uh, uh, the, the coming out of the lockdowns. But uh, uh, in order to grow, uh, you know, ten percent a year organically or something like that, so that you can anticipate that your investment return will be fifteen percent a year. So you double your money in five years in order to grow. You got to take market share. Well, if you're Nvidia, you know you're taking market share from Intel. You're taking market share from, uh, you know, ADM. I think it'd be worthwhile just a couple more and and you know if you don't own Nvidia or you think it's too expensive or you want to get a, lo a lower level, uh, still it should be on your watch list because it is really a superior company. But just just to elaborate a little more on Nvidia. Uh, let's draw Mike out on what the ARM transaction means to NVIDIA in terms of uh, continuing to be able to progress, to offer new products and, and, and uh, you know, become more essential to the, to the people who use chips. Over to you, Mike. Sure. So, okay. So there's a few pieces. So let me cover these kind of in... Um, in order here. Let's start with gaming because that's their historical business. Um, gaming has been an industry that is consistently um, um, underestimated, I guess would be the best best way to put it. If you look at the, uh, the, the 10K, the you'll see their gaming numbers relatively consistently going up. Uh, you do have to keep in mind that some of that gaming uh, those gaming sales include crypto mining cards. So they had a big bump in 2019 and a slide back in 2020. But in general, that gaming industry, if you want to bet that it's going to grow bigger and faster than the overall economy, which I think is a relatively safe bet, and that most people um, underestimate the growth in that category because many investors just can't relate to that business. Um, so I think gaming is really 
strong core of that business. Uh, the second piece is data center. And data center is really important for the future. Um, if you think about the, the hyperscalers, the Googles, the Amazons, the, the Microsofts that run gigantic data centers, some of them are, are run as infrastructure as a service. Sometimes, I mean, you can imagine the amount of compute that's required just to operate Google's Gmail product. Um, it, these are very, very large scale computers and your initial data centers were really just the, you know, to simplify it, just home PCs put in racks in giant warehouses with huge air conditioners on them to keep everything cool. Um, the modern data center is evolving very quickly and, and NVIDIA acquired a company called Mellanox uh, a couple of years ago, which, uh, without going too far in the weeds, provides another element to the modern data center. Um, so, so they're able to provide not only the, the GPUs, which a lot of them do complex modern calculations, um, but the data processing units, which Mellanox provides. ARM is going to give them another piece of this. Um, ARM is going to give them the CPU side of it. And recently they've announced their first uh, CPU. It's going to be an ARM-based CPU designed specifically for data center. So the way NVIDIA is looking at this is data center is the future for this company. And um, if you look at it from a growth rate perspective, 2020, the year ended January 31st, 2020, the company did $2.9 billion in data center. The year ended January 31st, 2021, they did $6.69 billion in revenue. This pace is, I, I haven't seen the latest estimates for this year, but data center will become the largest portion of this company's revenues over time. And ARM really makes that possible. Um, there's a third part to this. And the, the, the item for this doesn't even exist on their on the breakdown. As we progress with these artificial intelligence technologies, we're not going to want to do everything at the data center. We will want to do more processing at the edge. And I, I, I believe in some of the stuff uh, that, uh, that NVIDIA said is alluded to this in their, in their, in their um, analyst uh, days. So as you move to the edge, you'll need better and more inexpensive computing resources at the edge that are capable of doing um, these artificial intelligence type like type tasks. And I'll use the simplest example. Um, if any of you have a Nest camera at your home, um, it has on board a, a uh, uh, I, actually, this is a good question. I don't know if they do it on board or in the cloud, but the future of this is to do that artificial intelligence processing on board, whether that's person identification, detecting whether the, the, the delivery driver drops off a package or the other way around, someone picks up the package. All this already happens, but there will be a move to push more of this to what's known as the edge. So when you hear NVIDIA talk about IoT and the future of IoT, a lot of that is has to, be, has to go through ARM because ARM has global licensing, licensing arrangements so that people can build on their chip designs for whatever application they want to build. And that's the business NVIDIA wants to be in. They want to be the core of the future of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And in order to do that, they have to have an outlet. And ARM already has that outlet. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Hopefully that, that, that made sense. No, no, that's good. And uh, Mike's cracking up a little bit. Uh, 
both Mike and I uh, probably just go get off our speakers and go uh, so we can be heard better. Uh, if I hear Mike cracking up or hear he's, he's cracking up, that's what we'll do. The only other comment I'd make uh, in the remaining uh, few minutes is um, we've spent a lot of time uh, looking at two companies that really attract us because of their balance sheet, because of their cash flow. But we really have kind of uncertain um, futures because, um, uh, and, and the two are uh, uh, because uh, are Moderna and Zoom Video. And the reason the future is a bit uncertain is that um, we don't know whether uh, businesses and and uh, you know uh, individuals uh, will continue to use Zoom as compared to cheaper variations or just uh, you know or just using phone lines and just doing audio and not video. Also, we don't know that Moderna, who seems to be the pick of the crop in terms of the vaccines. Will it be the case that, um, you know, in a year's time or two years time or three years time, uh, you know, there just won't be the need for vaccines for COVID. So, um, uh, it's, it's, we've been wrong. I mean, you know, we said the same thing when they were lower. Um, and, um, and, um, but, but what we can say is they both have free cash flow. They're both, you know, at or about 100 billion, uh, you know, of of market cap. So they're they're not impossibly uh, expensive. Um, uh, Moderna is just beginning to have cash flow. Uh, you know, if you looked at the 10K or the fourth quarter last year, you'd think, what's all the excitement about? But I mean, they just had a kind of sensational first quarter, and there's lots more to come. Um, the uh, I think when we discussed. Um, Zoom, um, 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 Mike, who follows us a lot more carefully than I do, or most of us do, says, you know, look, look there are other options for video. I mean, amongst other things, uh, Microsoft has Teams. And so between the two, I think the last time we discussed them, uh, Mike said, you know, between future uncertainty, he was a little more comfortable with McDermott than, than with Zoom video. But with the remaining couple of minutes we have left, Mike, if you could just comment again on um, uh, where you where you think, you know, remember I said you got to take market share in order to get to something like a fifteen percent rate return, double your money in five years. Uh, where, 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 you know, I mean, Zoom, Zooms can become, uh, you know, like a like a uh, verb, like uh, Xerox or FedEx or whatnot. But I mean, where, 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 how do you think they're set up to compete, whether it be with Microsoft or other sources of uh, video, if, if, if indeed people want to continue to do a lot of video rather than just audio? Yeah, this is a challenging question. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of dynamics at play with Zoom. Uh, one of them that I was looking at yesterday is that it's probably the highest likely candidate to be included in the S&P 500 index um, or the next company included in the S&P 500 index. So uh, that, that adds a short term, not an, I wouldn't say that's an investable thesis. That's a trader thesis. Um, But it's, it's very incredible to see what's happened with the company, which has gone from, um, 
don't have the number in front of me, but essentially they've well over 10x their, their free cash flow. And that, that tells you, um, I mean, that, that's why I find technology companies very interesting to invest in because the a lot of it is a lot of upfront R&D software development. And then once you start adding customers to it, your marginal cost per customer is so low, your, your, your cost of goods sold is, is near zero. Um, it allows you to scale very profitably once you reach a certain point. And that's what we've seen with Zoom. So the, the question really for Zoom um, is what happens um, post-pandemic. And I, most companies now are saying we're not going back in a full uh, full analog or in-person mode. They're going to have some sort of flex work arrangement, which would which will require these sort of tools. Um, in a market for it to be competitive, there has to be a lot of <clears throat> a lot of options in order for prices to go down to the marginal cost. Um, like like Hunt said, with Teams is uh, Microsoft is happy to give away Teams because you're going to pay for the rest of the Microsoft Office suite with it. Zoom needs companies to commit to paying for Zoom on top of their Microsoft Office suite. Um, so it's a little bit more challenging. That being said, they're, they, you know, they, they've differentiated their product in a lot of ways as well. Um, again, there's, there's other options as, as well, such as the software that we use for this call is also capable of doing video. Um, so there, there's plenty of options out there. The question is going to be the next couple quarters, I think, is how their growth rate continues. And, um, without going into too much detail, but we should definitely cover this in their next earnings is the, the number that we'll be looking at is their net retention rate. So that is look that essentially looks at the existing customers, how much they increase their spend with the company over that period and how many new customers um, um, they add versus, uh, and then subtracting out the, the number of, Turn customers. If we continue to see that number well north of 100%, um, a great company is north of 130%. That's like your snowflakes and and and, and whatnot. Um, we will. You'll probably you'll probably see some some run up in the stock. Um, but the question is all about whether this is a sustainable moat that they've built or whether it's just another piece of business software that is relatively easy to replicate. Yeah. Yeah. With that, that is, that is a tricky thing. You're, you having gained a lot of market share during, during uh, the lockdown, they could lose market share. And, uh, and uh, it's, um, it's uh, on the other hand, great balance sheet, uh, lots of free cash flow and, uh, 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 Mike summarized it. We were talking a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just we generally talk five or ten minutes uh, a day or two before Wednesday at three thirty. And and but Mike said, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, Moderna and uh, and Zoom weren't growing anymore and were being treated as uh, as value stocks? Uh, 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 you know where 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 they uh, you know where they trade it? You know like. No, I don't know, seven, eight, nine percent free cash yield. 
and where you'd be relying. I mean, clearly they're, they've done a superb job. I mean, you have really competent management in both cases. And where rather than worrying about their growing, you'd say, well, you know, eight or nine, 10% free cash flow. You distribute half the cash flow and the dividend. That's a three or 4% yield. You use the other half, half of the cash flow to buy in stock. And, uh, maybe you get to your 15%, uh, 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 investment, uh, uh, percentage increase in value a year. Uh, and, uh, uh wouldn't that be easy? But, uh, uh, it, it, it probably, you know, can, can you rule that out happening with those two companies? No, you can't rule it out, but it's certainly not the case now. And there's a great deal of uncertainty about, I mean, I think at Moderna, people are predicting 17 billion of sales this year and maybe, Next year or the year after seven billion of sales, you know, so, uh, uh, seeing either one become a value. I promise you, I promise you, Mike and I promise you, we will keep Moderna and Zoom, uh, in focus. Uh, if they ever do become kind of value stock plays, uh, we, we, we could be, we, we, we were, we were pretty convinced that, uh, both in Mike's partnership and, uh, my, my, my own stuff, uh, uh, will own them. But uh, what to do about them now is uh, really a bit of a puzzle. And with that, everyone stay healthy. Uh, as far as those of you in the Northeast, it gets a lot cooler in the next couple of days. And uh, as Mike says, it's always nice in San Diego. But uh, we'll, uh, we, we, we have more variation here in the Northeast. But I'm sure by the time we get to next Wednesday, it's going to be much more comfortable here. With that, everyone stay safe and stay healthy. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.